From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with Leva Policy and Research Coordinator Carter Teal, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you with us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890Nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. Well, Carter, a little testimony this past week uh, in front of the unicameral, but they're moving on on this short session. Yes, they are. I'd say the most interesting one that we had the pleasure in testifying on was the Long-Term Homestead Exemption Act that was introduced by Senator McDonnell. Uh, LB 1361, if you want to look it up, this is something. Now, how the homestead exemption traditionally works, and most of you already know this, but you get a qualified exemption from the assessed value on your property, and then the property taxes that are collected on the remainder of it are distributed throughout all the local political subdivisions, all of the local property taxing entities. This one takes a different approach and would grant individuals who own and reside on their own homestead for 10 years a full exemption on property taxes paid towards local school districts. So it's going away from an exemption on the assessed value and gives a direct exemption on all property taxes paid towards local school districts. Well, that would affect school funding. Uh, what would it, double it maybe? <laughs> or the, the, oh, the state no. would be required to uh, pony up? No, you're not talking about doubling. You're talking about quintupling, essentially, the That's amount of, of state funding. Yeah, the amount of state funding that would be needed to maintain the homestead exemption with this change. It would quintuple the amount. Was there a lot of opposition or support? Or it sounded like uh, maybe there were some people testifying that didn't take much of a position. Well, this is one of those bills, and I've come to realize this during this session, that senators do introduce bills just to start a conversation sometimes. And this bill certainly does that. There wasn't any opposition. There was a couple of proponents and uh, myself and John Cannon, executive director from NACO, we testified in the neutral capacity because, of course, as we've been saying since September, we are all for lower property taxes and finding ways to accomplish that at the same time. If you're talking about quintupling the amount of state funding needed to compensate for that, uh, that would definitely necessitate a shift towards a uh, sales tax increase. So we testified in a neutral capacity. Yeah, it's, that would be shifting one tax in for one tax out, <laughs> more or less, or a combination of things that mm-hmm. uh, from sales tax increases, exemptions, and all of that. Yeah, but the interesting thing that the bill does conceptually is uh, – the link between the homestead exemption specifically and exclusively towards school districts. One of the senators mentioned during the introduction of the bill in front of the committee, uh, the Revenue Committee, that we often look to fund our local school districts not by the parents who have our kids in school and not by their parents, but the generation after that. And what this bill does is suggest a concept where the senior citizens, the property taxes that they're paying are now going towards 
the essential public services that they are entitled to, city and county governments. So it's, it's not probably going to pass this session, and there would need to be a certain revision of how it's implemented, but be on the lookout for a bill similar to this in the coming years. And of course, this the reality of something like this is going to be affected by other potential property tax relief or sales tax uh, increases. I mean, that whole discussion, this is just kind of woven in as one of the options at this point. It's really difficult to tell which of the bills are going to reach the surface, which of the bills are going to be included in the final proposal when you've got more than 25 total bills. And as uh, as of the end of February 29th, the hearings are now done, so they're going to be moving into the next phase. It was certainly a very intense month. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was your first month of, of being actively uh, engaged in that. So, yeah. yeah I'm, have you learned a lot about the process? <laughs> I guess you could say that uh, from late January into now the end of February, a short session, especially on top of all of the things, it was very dense. Some days you had seven or eight different committees hearing on that day. And um, I don't want to say I'm exhausted, <laughs> but I would say there's been a lot of times where I've had a lot of brain overload. There's been a lot of work that goes into it. And, and so now kind of getting to a point where we're still going to be monitoring the bills. We're still going to be in communication with a lot of the senators. But for me personally, there is a bit of sigh of relief. <laughs> well, now as, as we move to uh, the, the, the body uh, in total, as these committees then vote things out or <laughs> let them die in committee, uh, we'll be able to go some deeper on some of those that are going to move forward maybe do that next week or the following week because this is a transition, sort of a transition in the process, but it'll pick up and be very quick as they approach the final two, three weeks. Yeah, next week I think we should just have a deep dive recapping more of the prominent bills that we've testified on and then provide updates along the way of what the full legislature is debating on as they go into full day debate. Well, uh, on our LIBA update, uh, here's a date. Mark it on your calendar and plant it in your memory. April 11th, the Free Enterprise Celebration. Yes, the LIBA Free Enterprise Celebration coming up in April. So make your donations in advance and reserve your tables as soon as possible. Right now, we are on track to exceed the number of donated items and reserve tables that we had at last year's auction. Uh, so that is that is very uplifting and promising. Uh, we just need to finish strong over the next month and be ready for an amazing event come April. I think that from my perspective, I'm so happy that we have a full staff now because the work that Travis and Ann are doing uh, with the auction has just been phenomenal. And if you'd like more information, there is some information at liba.org, that's L-I-B-A for Lincoln Independent Business Association. Or if you really want to, to get a direct feedback, carter at liba.org if you've got a question. Uh, what does, uh, if there's a business that wants to donate something yet, what do they do? Just contact the office? 
Yeah, we actually have a Liba convention email as well. So if you want to just email that one, it's Liba convention at Liba.org. So and always also, looking for more uh, uh, auction items for the live auction or the silent auctions, plural, because there are uh, several different groups. Well, in our deep dive today, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about Governor Pillen's return to work uh, executive order that was put on a hold by a, a court ruling. But I, as I understand it now, uh, the hearing has uh, taken place. They are going to trial. Okay. We will uh, do that in our deep dive, and it is coming up next. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, that's name, image, and likeness, and now you can have an immediate effect on the success of our programs. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company, and with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and prepare them for life after college. Nebraska's always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back in uh, December, Governor Jim Pillen issued an executive order ordering all uh, state employees back to the office. That was done by an executive order, and challenged by the state employees' uh, union. Uh, they went to the uh, commission board and got a uh, sort of a reading on that, but then they ended up uh, filing a lawsuit. Yeah, this is a pretty lengthy backstory, and I find it really interesting because I was thinking back yesterday when I saw the latest article updating the status of the trial between the state and the Nebraska Association of Public Employees, or NAEP. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. I see it every week in my policy updates. There was probably four or five weeks in a row where I was talking about this, uh, putting that, that in there. But I don't think we've done a deep dive on this. So, Bud and I did a fairly extensive one right when it came out and when the first uh, discussions were, were being held and whether um, the the union and the governor's office would uh, even begin to negotiate. But at that point, it was so fluid, no one really had uh, any idea. Well, we've certainly got some substance to update with right now. So just to recap, you mentioned Governor Pillen. He issued the executive order. Uh, under the notion, Nebraska expects its state workers to be in the office from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. 
And you could say that was met with a lot of opposition from the public employee union, NAEP. Uh, it represents over 8,000 state employees, and the main concern was that we have a lot of people who are not able to meet that work schedule because of other obligations such as childcare, uh, education, or proximity to Nebraska. A lot of them work outside of the state. And so uh, NAEP then released a survey after the executive order was issued where it said that a couple thousand of the employees were either looking for other work, had already accepted other jobs, or were going to do that if the order was upheld. And so you could say this was met with quite a bit of resistance initially. And this had to do with their collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. The union said the governor did not have the unilateral right to do this. And the governor said, you know, basically the state said that they did have under uh, their work rules. But. So that's really what the entire dispute boils down to is the interpretation of the current collective bargaining agreement, which from NAEP's, uh, from NAEP's perspective, the, the contract with the state requires bargaining over changes to the terms and conditions of employment, believing that that includes remote work, terms and conditions. However, from the state's argument, you have the contract gives the state sole discretion over work locations and scheduling. So that's their stance. In addition to during the negotiations for this collective bargaining agreement in place, the union gave up a specific remote work clause to be included in the contract in order to obtain other benefits, higher wages, and uh, other sorts of things. So that's where it stands right now. When the executive order was issued, the, the, the CIR, uh, Commission of Industrial Relations, initially granted a temporary injunction just before it went into effect at the beginning of January. However, a couple of the state departments issued emails, notices to their employees saying, you have to come in. <laughs> We're still going through with it. And so at that point, NAEP took it to the uh, Lancaster County uh, District Court who found that that was not actually a violation of the CIR's temporary injunction. While it may have violated the spirit of the order, it did not actually violate the letter of the law. So that was how that was resolved. Um, well, they didn't get their injunction. They, yeah. Well, they, I mean, they did, but the injunction te technically didn't bar right. the state requiring them to come back. So what good is it if it doesn't do right. what you want it to do? It was an ineffective do. injunction in exactly. that case. But then the union took it one more step. So at the trial now, with the CIR, they have appealed it, and uh, it's currently underway. So you have all of the stuff going on. The, the CIR is technically, they're not a court, but they are a quasi-judicial body where they can hear these sorts of things. All of the un public union negotiations go to the CIR. They make a determination based on the facts, and they do use case law. So it is very similar to... Uh, traditional courts. 
Technically, though, they are a quasi-judicial body. However, uh, a lot of the same procedures are going on. You have testimony from NAEP members who are saying, we really need this. Uh, children, I have to take care of my children. It, this wouldn't allow me to continue work. I really love contributing to Nebraska. Our, our services, our departments are already currently understaffed, and this would just exacerbate the problem. Uh, so a lot of what's going on kind of stems into the broader dispute or a debate over remote work and the pros and cons of how it applies to all sorts of businesses. And there was, I know there were some discussions, uh, the NAEP put forth that not all state employees have to interact with the public and mm -hmm. the work that they do is behind the scenes and can be done as effective uh, and as efficiently as if they were in the office. The other thing that uh, came up, I mean, it's been exacerbated since the COVID pandemic, but uh, for those that have been doing remote work from home and when child care, child care costs have gone through the roof in uh, in so many instances, especially in the smaller communities, that this was one of the other uh, consequences that really put some of those remote workers in a, a very difficult situation. It's a difficult situation, and it's happened across the country as corporate America has made the transition to saying, okay, you have to come back to work. A lot of instances across the country, you had companies that were surveying their employees and saying, what would you like to do here? And they came back with a majority of, we'd like to continue these remote work assignments. But corporate America's general response was the concern, remote work isn't done as efficiently as when we have people in the office. But as it's applied to this situation here with the state employees, a lot of their departments are understaffed. And so with this, while you might get more productivity from the employees if they're in the office, you're going to lose quite a few of them by making that requirement, further understaffing the offices and whatever benefit you get from more productivity might be outweighed by how many people you're going to lose and uh, the services that are going to suffer as a result of that. So, yeah, we'll uh, have the uh, result of the uh, CIR's uh, trial probably, what, in a few weeks? I it mean, should I don't be think... made within a few weeks, and it, it could still be appealed after that. Um, at that point, if NAEP would probably be more likely to appeal a decision than the state. It would be appealed to the Nebraska uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Well, we'll uh, stay on top of that and keep you posted. And, of course, as you mentioned, you'll uh, have the latest in your weekly policy updates as well. Anything else for the good of the cause this week? Happy Leap Year, everybody. This is a very special day. We only get it once in four years. So enjoy the day and... Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in. And there, there one, I saw one thing about uh, leap year. I did not realize this. It happens every four years mm -hmm. except on the, dec the years that end in 100 or 400. So in 2100, 
which is a four fourth year, there will not be a leap day. Really? Yes, and the and there wasn't one in uh, nineteen hundred. Do you know why that is? Um, well, it has to do with with the uh, rotation of the Earth around okay. the sun. It does about three hundred and sixty five and just shy of a quarter day, three sixty five oh, and a quarter. Okay. So. Uh, that leap day then brings it back up, but every so often they have to, you know, it goes slightly <laughs> yeah. over, so they have to back off a day. It Make was, it was an interesting article I read. So. Every 100 and 400 years? Yep. Wow, that's interesting. I learned something new today. So 2100, and then uh, I forget what the next one is. So I, I know one thing. I will not <laughs> make, make <laughs> it to that point. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Carter, we'll do it again next week. Thanks for uh, being in, and uh, good luck with the next phase of the Unicamera. Thank you very much, Mark. This has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio. Reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with Legal Policy and Research Coordinator Carter Teal, I'm Mark Vail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.